The security clearance process is complicated. Maybe you find yourself applying for a position with the national security community and then finding yourself with questions you don't know how to answer. Maybe you've held an active security clearance for decades and now find yourself wondering if you need to report that DUI or if your bankruptcy will be flagged under the new continuous vetting program. Security clearance policies are changing and it can be hard to keep up. Whether you're a security clearance applicant, defense industry hiring manager, or government agency, it's okay to have questions. We have the answers. Welcome to Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Brought to you by your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley with security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. Hi, this is Lindy Kaiser with clearancejobs.com and welcome to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity on Federal News Radio. Today, I'm super excited to talk with Jennifer Taylor. She is the president and CEO of the Northern Virginia Technology Council. It's one of the largest regional technology councils, one with a mission very near and dear to the clearance jobs heart. They work with companies in the region to promote the technology industry, advance innovation, and promote workforce development. As the region's technology trade organization, they're really at the heart of cybersecurity growth and advancement in the nation's capital, which is such an important topic. So thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. So nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So for anybody who's not familiar or hasn't even heard of NVTC before, maybe for some strange reason, can you kind of just tell them a little bit about your organization and what you do? Yeah. So the Northern Virginia Technology Council is a regional tech council that brings together all the players in our vibrant tech ecosystem. That includes not only tech companies of all sizes, but also the service providers, consulting firms, law firms, and we also have universities and community colleges that are part of our membership and serve on our board. And what's really fantastic about our council is that it really covers the diversity of types of companies, not just tech companies, but like I said, service providers, uniting everyone together so that we can advance our mission. And our mission is to continue to accelerate tech innovation and promote a world class workforce because we need the workforce to continue to drive innovation in our region. I love that. That's awesome. So Northern Virginia, definitely, I talk about it as the cybersecurity center of the nation, really, because when you think about where cybersecurity jobs are most in demand, where you have a ton of companies working in this area, because there's so much federal government work that's in play there. Even with companies offering some form of remote work, um, demand for talent in Northern Virginia is is definitely growing. So, but outside of the obvious, why is Northern Virginia a great place for both companies to be located? Because I know you work a ton with the companies there, but then also for talent. What's really unique about our region and sets us apart from other tech hubs in the country is our proximity to the federal government. They are the largest purchaser of tech products and services. And so as a result of that, we've seen growth in not only government contracting business, but now we're starting to attract commercial tech as well. And other organizations, everybody knows about Amazon HQ2 moving here. We also are seeing companies like Nestle move here as well. And so what's really great about our region is that we have terrific talent that emerges out of our universities in the area, not just in Virginia, but also in Washington, D.C. and Maryland. And this is a hotbed of talent and jobs are, like you said, growing by leaps and bounds. There's over 150,000 unfilled jobs in the region right now. And so what makes this place a great attraction for organizations is that Virginia is a very business-friendly state. We have 
great talent that's born out of our universities and community colleges. It's also a lovely place to live. So there's great things for people to do. We have a really good infrastructure in terms of our roads and our transit. Certainly we are investing in that. And, you know, our cost of living is actually better than than other places. It's something we need to watch. But all of that coupled together is what makes this region attractive. And I love that you point out all of the partnerships because that is one of the things that I really love about NBTC is if you're working in the tech space, in any capacity, there's really an opportunity for you to get involved with NBTC. So every time I attend one of your events, I'm always coming across companies that I might not already be aware of through the clearance jobs ecosystem, but they're doing really cool, innovative tech work. And like even the last event I went to, you had George Mason there and you had AWS was there, but there were a lot of other companies, you know, Shift5, GroupSense, Tenable, just you really do a great job of bringing in different players across the space and creating a lot of networking opportunities and opportunities to collaborate and get together and really get a lot of value out of, again, being a part of an organization like this. Yeah, there are so many fantastic tech companies in our region that people may not be aware of. I'll point out one is Airgility. So they're developing drone technology that they're selling into or collaborating with the Department of Defense so that drones can go into tunnels and do surveillance work. It's just really incredible when you meet these innovators and learn about the different products and technologies that they're advancing. And that's why a tech council is so important. Through the council, we're bringing together those organizations, all these innovators together so that they can continue to accelerate their businesses, find the partners that they need. Because, you know, many times you have a CEO or an innovator who's come up with a great idea, but they may not necessarily have all the tools and the resources to build the company. And that's why the service providers are helpful as well, because innovators want to keep advancing their products and their technologies and their services and would probably like to stay out of, you know, working on their accounting or payroll or what I would call the shared services role so that they can continue to advance their technology. So we bring that whole tech ecosystem together. And it is just incredible how many fantastic technologies are accelerating in our region. No, I love that because we talk so much about we need the best innovation and the best talent in government. And if you have great ideas, sometimes the ideas are not enough. You really need good partners to help you bring to the table and kind of NVTC really provides a framework for that. So kind of on that note, you're getting ready for Tech 100. So I want to promote and talk about that a little bit because it's near and dear to my heart. I love that event. What is Tech 100? Why do you host events like that? And why is it worth attending maybe if somebody hasn't bought their ticket yet? Tech 100 is one of our most fantastic events that we put on every year. And it's important because this is the time where we celebrate 100 tech innovators, companies, leaders, and next-gen leaders. And we take the time to recognize these incredible individuals and companies for the impact that they are having in our region. I always explain that MVTC does four key things, and that is we connect, educate, advocate for, and celebrate our tech ecosystem. And so we have awards programs like Tech 100, and we take the time to recognize these incredible um, individuals and companies that are having impact 
not only in our region, but in the world, because many of the companies in our region have technologies that are helping us secure our nation and also secure and protect other countries as well. So Tech 100 is really terrific because we take a moment to recognize these organizations and individuals who are advancing innovation and having a positive impact, not only in our backyard, but across the globe. Talk about that award and recognition aspect, because I think, you know, being with clearance jobs, we talk all the time about how across the defense industry and the IC in particular, if you're doing your job well, you don't get any recognition. And so I think that can be a little frustrating. So why is it kind of important to have these awards programs and maybe or maybe what feedback do you get or what? how does it help kind of showcase the companies that are in your organization and why do you do awards programs like this? Awards programs are important because it's the opportunity to highlight up and coming startup companies, companies that are in early stage growth. It gives them the opportunity to promote and get some brand exposure for innovation that they're working on. And then also it's really important for companies to recognize the people behind their tech innovation. I'm so encouraged when I see uh, companies nominating their uh, staff for these awards because the next generation of talent and these leaders are what make our region so fantastic. And I encourage the CEOs of our member companies and on my board to nominate their staff. You know, this is a way to let the person know that they're appreciated and, and that they're valued at their companies. So all around, I, I'm a big fan of doing awards programs, and we have three of them. So we do them for the data center community, also the cyber community, and then we have the general Tech 100 every December. Awesome. I love it. You came on board as president of MVTC at a really weird time. So during COVID, what was it like to take the helm of this organization amid all of that? Kind of how has MVTC pivoted You know, during that time? I know you have a lot of things, offerings that you can do online or ways to stay involved in the organization. But now again, things like Tech 100, you're now back to in-person. So what are you kind of excited about for your next phase with MVTC now that things are going back to something resembling normal a little bit in terms of hosting events and being out there again? So I joined NVTC in September of 2020, and it was the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it was tough. Thank goodness for technology and for Zoom and Microsoft Teams and whatnot, because I was able to connect and learn about the business and meet our members and really get to know our board members uh, digitally. So while it was tough, and I definitely missed at that time those in-person meetings, I had a board member say, Jennifer, take advantage of COVID and use the time to really take an opportunity to modernize the council and complete the five-year strategic plan. So that's what I did. I really focused on modernizing MVTC. Uh, We've done a lot uh, to modernize the organization. We still are in the process of doing that with rebooting and revitalizing our web experience. It was tough, but I through the digital technologies that we have, I was able to believe it or not, to meet more people more quickly, if that makes any sense, because I wasn't having to get in the car and, you know, drive to meet individuals. I went on a listening tour and met so many people within our organization. We have 120 board members. So it took me a while to make that full 
circle and meet everyone. So that's what I did. I kind of took advantage of the, the moment uh, to get to know everybody. And then that all of that feedback and all of the input that I received then was infused into our five-year strategic plan, which we took a moment to really hone in on our mission, vision, and our four strategic priorities. And our vision is to be the most vibrant and collaborative tech community in the world. And already shared our mission is to uh, accelerate tech innovation and promote a world-class workforce. And we now have our four strategic pillars. And so our four strategic priorities are pretty simple. They are to continue to grow our tech sector. Number two is to infuse the next generation of talent into the workforce. And number three is to weave DE&I best practices throughout our tech ecosystem. And then the fourth is to continue to anticipate and modernize. So continue to stay abreast of what is happening in our area, what tech innovation is continuing to grow and present itself so that we can continue to meet the needs of emerging tech sectors or verticals. I love it. Fantastic. Well, those are all my questions. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to touch on? I would just like to say to anyone out there who is working for a tech company or leads a tech company, please feel free to reach out to me at jtaylor at mbtc.org. We'd love to invite you to be part of our tech community. This is where tech thrives. And if you are part of the tech ecosystem in any way, please feel free to reach out and be a part of our community. I promise this is a great place to meet others, network, help with your professional development, and just stay attuned to what is happening in our area as it relates to so much innovation in the area of cloud, cyber, data science, digital transformation, government contracting, the list goes on and on. So feel free to be a part of of our community. Um, All are welcome. No, I love that. And that clearance jobs, I love the collaborative aspect of everything you do at MBTC. So if you've never attended an event before or participated in something, I think um, you will be impressed by how well put on everything is. The focus on collaboration, on real information sharing and learning in a helpful way. If we want to make technology better, those collaborative relationships are really key, especially bringing in, you know, great commercial sector innovation and giving those folks a chance to play in the government and come alongside some of those companies who are really well-versed in working for the government. That's a huge strategic advantage. Every time I go to an NBTC event, I see magic happening. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't bought your tickets for Tech 100 yet, you can go to nbtc.org. And as Jennifer said, you can reach out to her at jtaylor at nbtc.org. I mean, that's just awesome too, that you have access to folks who want to help you win in the tech space to learn and collaborate and grow and to improve the workforce. And obviously we're all about that at Clearance Jobs. So thank you so much, Jennifer and NBTC for taking the time to chat with us. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. Join the Northern Virginia Technology Council and the region's tech leaders on December 6th at Capital One Hall. NVTC's Tech 100 will recognize inspiring and innovative companies, executives, and next-gen leaders. NVTC's Golden 20s theme puts a modern twist on the Roaring 20s, bringing the glitz and glam to this festive night. Walk the red carpet and pose for a Hollywood-style photo with our honorees. You won't want to miss the hottest evening of tech networking all year. Get your Tech 100 tickets today at nvtc.org. That's nbtc.org. Attorney advertisement, not a guarantee or warranty of results. I'm attorney Sean Bigley. 
The denial or revocation of your security clearance is a devastating blow, but effective legal representation can make a difference. Contact my team at Bigley Ranish LLP for a free case evaluation. Find us online at biglylaw.com. Federal security clearances are all we do. Welcome back. I am attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm here with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser. And we're talking this segment about the Privacy Act and your security clearance. And Lindy, I know we had a couple of recent articles on the website about this, uh, including one that I wrote, actually. I think it generated a fair amount of interest. Uh, What was kind of the gist of people's angst about the Privacy Act. Well, this is why I love that you're a clearance jobs contributor, Sean, because I get these nuanced questions about the Privacy Act, I would say fairly regularly and always have, where folks are asking about what aspects of the security clearance process are really private. And I can often tell that they're writing from some place of trauma within their lives where they feel like their information was erroneously shared or they just have fears that when they submit the SF-86, that it will be shared. I got a very specific email, again, which I forwarded to you, that where we had somebody asking questions about, hey, can my security officer forward any of the contents of my SF-86 on to other people? If that happens, and I know that that's happened, do I have legal recourse? So those are those kind of two sides of it. So maybe can you speak to that? Maybe reassure people, because that does come up often. And we talk about that a lot, the stovepipes between the security clearance process and human resources. And my understanding is, yes, your security officer will review your SF-86 for accuracy, but they will not and do not share that information with your supervisor or employer HR Maybe talk about what the Privacy Act covers, what they can and can't share. I think you're right. I mean, that seems to be kind of the the center of people's anxiety as far as the Privacy Act in that specific aspect of it. It's not, you know, so much the abstract, you know, the idea of some random person off the street, some news reporter or whatever, you know, getting a hold of their information. Because frankly, for the most, you know, most of us, the, the majority of folks who have held clearances, nobody really cares what's on your SF-86. It's not, you know, international news or national news unless you're, you know, Jared Kushner or, you know, some pri- you know, a major public figure. Um, that That's just not, you know, something that's really of interest to people. But, you know, on a micro level, I think in, in the workplace, obviously, people do have that concern about, you know, water cooler gossip and things like that. And nobody wants to be the subject of that. People speculating about, you know, why they had their clearance denied or revoked or, you know, talking about what was on this person's SF-86. You know, oh my gosh, you know, did you know that John Smith, you know, secretly does cocaine on the weekends? You know, those are not topics that people are really too keen on, on having put out there. And so one thing that I would tell people right off the bat is, yes, the Privacy Act does apply government contractors, just as it applies to federal agencies in the sense that information government contractors are coming into possession of by way of their government contracts, if it's personally identifying information, that stuff is protected. And so that includes SF-86s as the most obvious example. Those are loaded with personally identifying details and all sorts of private information. And so your security manager is not supposed to be blabbing those details to other people in the office. Now, as you point out, obviously, you know, where the line is between the security office and the human resources office is often blurred. And in some small government contractors, sometimes the guy who's the FSO is also the guy who does HR. And so people have 
concerns, you know, more than just gossip and, and innuendo in the office about, well, you know, if I list on my SF-86 that I did try marijuana in six months ago while I was holding a clearance, I'm also alerting my employer to the fact that I violated their drug use policies. Am I going to get fired as a result of that? And the short answer is there is that possibility. I mean, you know, yes, there's supposed to be a wall between security and HR, but at the end of the day, you know, your recourse for that wall not being there is is very limited when it comes to Privacy Act issues for these types of specific things. Now, obviously, if it's more than that, if it's if it is, you know, blabbing your details around the water cooler, things like that, that's going to be an issue. At the end of the day, yeah, I mean, whatever you're sharing with your security manager, can it get to HR? It, it can potentially. So I can understand the anxiety. Okay, so that's a, I mean, that's a nuance that's worth pointing out. Are, I mean, so are employers then able to take adverse, I mean, we're getting into employment law around this. Maybe in your history of even looking at cases or working with individuals, have you seen an issue where someone reported something to their security officer and then it became an adverse employment decision? They were fired because of it. And was there any recourse around that? Y- yes, we actually see this issue come up fairly regularly. And it's most frequent, I would say, in the military because the military commands get a hold of information that somebody's reported in their SF-86. The command security manager, you know, runs it up the flagpole and then it results in, uh, you know, some sort of UCMJ action or Article 15. Um, and that's, you know, not not a pleasant process, obviously. In the private sector uh, or the federal civilian workforce, it is an issue sometimes as well. It doesn't often have the same degree of ramifications, but we get, for example, cases on a fairly regular basis where somebody has, you know, drug use uh, that they need to report or that they have shared in their SF-86 and where we would normally recommend that they go to their employer and ask their supervisor for uh, a reference letter, for example, we often advise, hey, you know, actually in this particular case, that's not a good idea because you are going to be alerting your employer or sort of highlighting to your employer the fact that you have violated their drug policy. I also get this question a lot from employers who say, well, you know, where is the line? What can I do with this information if I discover that somebody has uh, violated our policies, things like that? I always tell folks in those situations, employers, you got to talk to your legal counsel, state employment laws vary. And so what is or isn't acceptable as a means of termination or discipline or things like that, sometimes it doesn't always overlap with what is a basis for you know, denying or revoking a security clearance. And so, Lindy, you and I talked about this, obviously, at, at uh, Clearance Jobs Connect, our recent uh, program for uh, employers and recruiters, and, and kind of highlighted this issue and this tension between uh, human resources issues, state law, employment issues, and the security clearance process. And I pointed out that you know employers are taking a big risk and really sticking their neck out there legally if they're doing something that potentially is placing them in jeopardy of running afoul of uh, employment law issues, even if they're doing it ostensibly on the basis of saying, well, you know, we don't think this person's going to be able to get a clearance or we don't think this person's going to be able to keep their clearance. That's a discretionary decision for the government. And when the employer decides to subvert that, there can be repercussions. Yes, this is all super interesting. I mean, I think that when you provide information, 
it can be related to employment decisions. You should really think carefully about what you include on the SF-86 and career ramifications for your employment. But the other side of it too, I do want to say, I think we had some, we've had some concern about, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the water cooler gossip side of that. That is where an employer can certainly, I imagine, get into trouble if they are discussing not employment issues, but just issues that an individual has reported or indicated on their SF-86 further down the food chain of an organization with people who are not related to hiring or employment. Is that a correct take? There's a lot of gray area here when it comes to, you know, what is or isn't acceptable in terms of, you know, sharing between security and HR. And, And like I said, a lot of that is governed by employment law, which varies in many cases by state. When it comes to you know, gossip and and water cooler talk and things like that, that's, you know, where there's a pretty firm line. If the employer or the FSO or HR, you know, whoever it is that comes into possession of information that is reported on an SF-86 is using it for some improper purpose like gossip, that's a pretty clear Privacy Act violation. And so the employee would potentially have some recourse there there, there can be some severe penalties, actually, for violating the Privacy Act. It's somewhat rare those are enforced, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities. And so, you know, in a particularly egregious case, I could foresee that happening. But, you know, I will say also, I think, you know, the vast majority of employers and security managers obviously don't do that, you know, act professionally and and do their due diligence. And so I, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to submit this SF-86 and there's this great chance that, you know, my my personal details are going to be blabbed all over the company. It's, it's rare that we see this, but it does happen on occasion. And so I would just encourage anybody who is submitting an SF-86, whether it's for the first time or as part of a reapplication, go and you know get some legal counsel potentially because if there are issues that you have to disclose in the SF86 that may implicate your employment then there may be reason to potentially not submit the SF86 and you know either possibly look at another career opportunity or uh, you know, maybe just dial it back and stick with your current level of clearance until the issue falls outside of scope. I mean, there's there's different strategies that we sometimes use for dealing with these things. But, you know, obviously, everybody who's filling out an SF-86 has an obligation to do it truthfully. So if you're going to answer the questions, you got to answer them truthfully. It's just sometimes a matter of, you know, do you actually want to answer those questions? Is it in your legal interest or are you potentially shooting yourself in the foot by, you know, submitting an SF-86 and then getting fired because you are telling the employer that you violated their policies? Yeah, I think it's one of the many examples where like, a, you know, a small bit of paranoia is useful and, a, and too much paranoia is going to be harmful. So just carefully read your SF-86 and consider your case. And like you said, you know, seek legal counsel if if in doubt. The vast majority of questions I get are more boring. Your life seems more exciting to you than it does to your security officer or your employer. In most, I mean, you see the really interesting cases, Sean. So you're talking about, but for me, I get a lot of germane questions that people think are going to be a much more big deal. And I think especially if your employer is seeing very many SF-86s, they will not be surprised or shocked by a self-reported instance of drug use or criminal conduct or any of those. And, And as a general rule in this candidate market, that should probably not preclude either your employment or your security clearance. So when in doubt, read carefully, don't overshare, be honest, 
be a little bit careful, but also don't allow it to scare you away from a cleared career is my advice. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like you said, I, I think there's a spectrum here and and I get a lot of calls from people too who are super, super worried and have had, you know, sleepless nights over something. And I look at it and go, you're fine. <laughs> this is not going to be a problem. <laughs> so, you know, perspective. Thank you for listening to this episode of Security Clearance Insecurity. Please note the information provided on this program is intended as general information only and should not be construed as legal advice. Consult a security clearance attorney regarding your specific situation. Have a question about security clearance process? Interested in submitting your own topic for security clearance insecurity? Have a question you'd like us to address on a future episode? Drop us an email, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for tuning in to Security Clearance Insecurity with your host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com and Sean Bigley of security clearance law firm, Bigley Ranish. Join us next time as we continue to answer all the questions about security clearance careers you have, but we're too afraid to ask your security manager.